0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: So do you think the expectations for the Bucks this year in 2021 are just a little too high? Has Tom Brady done enough in one season? to warrant his name going into the Bucks ring of honor? And did the Rays commit too quickly to Brandon Lau? Will the Lightning be able to integrate Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos and just flip the switch to playoff hockey? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. A nice varied sample of questions
0: of the Bucks, the Rays, and the Bolts, and it's time to get started. All right, well, we'll start with the Stanley Cup champs who emailed or tweeted actually. Do you think the expectations for the bucks this year are too much? No one thought it would happen last season, and they won it all. Now they have everyone back, and people are picking them to go win it again. A lot of pressure to repeat. I know we got Brady, but it's tough to do.
1: Yes, those are facts. We'll deal with the facts first. It is tough to do. Uh, however, the last guy to do it was Tom Brady for the Patriots. I think oh three o four or thereabouts. Um, I, I also would, would agree that, um, you know, a year ago they, uh, and we talked about this, everybody was like, it was a similar question, but a different context a year ago. And it was like, Hey, is it super bowl or bust? And my, my comment then is not going to be much different than it is now. When you get Tom Brady, when, when you get the guy that, that has been to more super bowls than any quarterback alive or dead, um, that has won seven of them, um, you know, now seven, six, a year ago, I, I think your expectations are always the Super Bowl. I mean, because he has proven that he can get to that game more often than almost any, well, more often than any player alive. So, um, that being said, you know, a year ago, there were some, some dark and stormy days when they were seven and five. Um, they got to the bye week, things weren't going particularly well on offense. Um, and and people were pretty much doubting them it looked like they weren't going to win the division that was already up so you knew they had to go on the road and and you know try to do it the hard way but when you when you accomplish all that when you you know scale that mountain and i know you got to go back to the bottom again but you're doing it with the same group of guys and so you know in many ways and you can't predict injury every year is different even though 22 starters are back and a lot of significant portion of their of their backups are back It's still a new team. There are still pieces that you have to um, add, and and you could get better or you could get worse, but you're not going to stay the same. And we don't know what age is going to do to Indomitian Sue or Jason Pierre-Paul. You know, you just don't know. And so, uh, but expectations, I think they're through the roof. And you know what? They should be. Show me another team in the NFC um, that is more equipped to go to a Super Bowl than the one that just won it. Um, you know, they beat Green Bay. Let's just look at the championship game. They beat the Green Bay Packers. Now, the Packers added some pieces, um, you know, in, in uh, the draft and and I'm sure in free agency as well. But, oh, by the way, their quarterback doesn't want to ever play there again. Okay? So that's that's your baseline for the Packers offseason right there. Who's going to be their their quarterback? Is Aaron Rodgers, you know, just a, going to create a complete mutiny for that organization? Um, and, and then you can go out west and you can say, well, you know, Look, that's a tough division out there. Somebody's going to come out of there, whether it's Seattle and Russell Wilson, or you know uh, the Forty ers you know with with a reinvigorated Jimmy Garoppolo, um, you know, and, and a young quarterback that's nipping at his heels. Or how about the Rams, who I would say is the favorite in the West, because I really think the Matthew Stafford signing was brilliant. I think it's going to pay off for the Rams, and and I love their their head coach and Sean McVay. Um, you know, are the Saints with Jameis Winston? going to rise up and win that division you know, again for like a fifth year in a row uh, and create a real long road for the Bucks if they make the playoffs. I mean, that's who you're talking about. We're we talking about Dallas coming back uh, into some kind of prominence with that horrible defense. They've added some pieces, but is it really enough? So, I mean, I, I don't know who else you would look at in the NFC and say that they're better than the Bucks. they have a higher ceiling than the Bucks. If anything, the Bucks' ceiling – um, is still pretty high because they were just really kind of hitting their stride when the season ended. You know, I saw those guys get better every single time. They're going to get the, the lion's share of national spotlight. They should. You've got to take the crown off the champion. That's the way it works. And you're the hunted and not the hunter now. You know, they, they, they were still trying to run down some teams a year ago, the Saints in particular, because they had their number in the division for four straight years. They slayed that dragon. They went on and and you know beat the Packers, who are now kind of a train wreck this off season. So definitely, I don't think the expectations can be too high. And just wait till the schedule comes out. I'll show you expectations. They're probably gonna have about six or maybe even seven national TV games. Win, win, win. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My favorite day of the year, isn't it? I mean, it's like Caliendo doing the Gruden. Day. I mean, you get the schedule and you do the daisy chain. You like you know 17 and 0 man 17 and 0 and it's 17 games this year
0: not 6 that's true so yeah that's so. going to be fun yeah so if if they go if for a team to go undefeated you'd have to go 20 and 0 20 and 0 how about that wow yeah. or possibly
1: 21 and 0 right oh yeah yeah i if guess if, you, if, yeah, if you, you win three playoff games and yeah cuz there's the only there's
0: only one bye right there, are they doing yeah. the 14 teams again this year
1: I think so. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, if you, took, if you took the Bucks path last year where you had yeah. the extra wildcard team, so you had, you had to win three, three games in the postseason to, to play in the Super Bowl, if you did that again, it'd be 21 games. 21 games.
0: 21 and 0, babe. There you 21 go. 21
1: and 0, man. 21 and 0.
0: Well, we learned on Monday the Brady effect. The Bucks went from number 28 in NFL team sales in 2019 to number one last year. A twelve thousand or twelve hundred percent increase year over year, mm. and according to Fanatics, which is I think that's the NFL shop is Fanatics. So,
1: just like my salary, when Brady came here, mm-hmm. it was no, it wasn't raised twenty eight times, but um, <laughs> but it should have been because l- listen, I can tell you from a business standpoint, everything that he comes in, that he touches, even even from an ancillary standpoint, like you know, there's no question he's the rainmaker. Whatever, you know, he he leaves a lot of money. There's no quarterback that's left as much money in terms of salary on the table as him because he wants to help the team around him be better. So he, he's about championships. You can be about championships when you've made about $300 million and then you have all the off-field stuff. But, um, you know, this, this guy, uh, he sells everything for everybody, including newspapers, including subscriptions. Like, I've never seen anything like it. So, um, yeah, I, everybody knows, and I think – that was the most amazing thing, again, last week, um, over the last couple of weeks. Two different people, Jason Light, John Spitek, have both said, uh, literally, that Tom Brady, in their opinion, can play here as long as he wants to. Have you ever heard that before about a guy that's going to be 44 years old? I mean, that certainly not what they told him in New England, but he can play here as long as he wants to. He's earned that. It's incredible. It's an incredible statement, and yet it's not wrong. He hasn't shown any signs of decline. If their team is only going to get better, I mean, you got O.J. Howard coming back off the Achilles. That's going to help them. Um, you know, I think Gio Bernard is going to help them. Um, they've they've added some pieces, and 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 I thought they had a pretty good draft to boot.
0: Well, so, speaking of Tom Brady and Steve, had asked, has Tom Brady done enough in one season to get inducted into the Bucks Ring of Honor? If not, what do you think he has to do in the next one to two years to get there?
1: What a great question. Um, You know, the Ring of Honor um, is one that uh, has not been that easy to get into. There's a lot of uh, players that uh, feel like they're deserving, and a lot of fans feel they're deserving. They're not there. Um, However, um, you know, I remember one Peyton Manning, I believe, was inducted into the Broncos Ring of Honor, if I'm not mistaken. Um, He was, but he took him to two Super Bowls. He went to two. I'm trying to to set the bar here. He went to two. 1-1. 1-1. One, one. Here's what he did, and this is what Brady has a chance to do. I don't know if Brady's going to win another Super Bowl, and I don't, I don't know that he's going to go to one, but you know, the math tells you that if he plays two more years, he will go to one more. Um, and he wins more than he loses when he, once he gets there. He was on a streak there for a while where he wasn't winning many, but that all has changed. Uh, I think at the end of the day, if he does what I think he's going to do and gets to one more and or wins it, um, yes, I think he's going to be in the ring of honor because he will change the culture of this franchise long after he's gone. And I think I think that's something that the Bucks were counting on too. You know, um, just the standard that he has set uh, in terms of, you know, attention to detail, uh, improving every week, finding ways to win games while you're improving. Um, you know, they've talked about how, everybody got better when he showed up, you know, the, the cook cooked a little better and they cleaned up a little better. And, and, you know, the grad, the guy that does the, the fields was, uh, was more on top of his game. And, you know, that that's the sort of, you know, franchise changing legacy that you can leave. I think it happened in Denver. Now I know they haven't found a quarterback. um, But even after, even after Manning left, I thought those Denver's Denver teams, and the way they played, the way they went about their business was was different he left the organization much better than he found it. I think Brady will do the same, so you know let's say for example, because we we've talked about the draft and and them getting Kyle Trask let's say in two years, Brady leaves after two more seasons, and Kyle Trask um, has you know sat at the the feet of the goat here and watched him prepare and watched learned as much as he could from him and And what if Trask goes out there and this team continues to go to playoffs, continues to challenge for Super Bowls, maybe makes it to a championship or two? I mean, all that would be sort of a Brady residual, I think. So I don't think he's far away. I mean, it seems preposterous, right? A guy plays one year, wins a Super Bowl, and you're going to put him in the ring of honor. But there are certain icons and iconic figures in the sport of football, in the NFL, and what they mean to your organization that I think I don't know that longevity is necessarily a, a total prerequisite. Look, they don't go to the Super Bowl last year. You could take the same 52 out of 53 players, and if Brady's not one of them, they're not going to the Super Bowl. So what is that worth, right? Is that ring of honor worthy? Yeah, it kind of is at that position, you know. And, and I know we can talk about a lot of players, James Wilder, and you know, guys that aren't in there right now um but what do they win you know and i think winning is is uh you know is something that that really matters and so i i i, w- I don't think it's far fetched look when um when jason light kind of talked bruce arians into coming out of retirement and arians had done one year at cbs um one of the things that jason said to him was hey I want to win enough to where we have to put a statue of you in front of Raymond James Stadium. Well, I got news for you. If they keep winning, they're going to need two statues. <laughs> and you might just see TB12 um, standing out there in front of off of uh, Tom McEwen Boulevard or something. If they keep winning, it.
0: it's going to be TB12 Stadium.
1: <laughs> you know, that's true, too. <laughs> and literally sponsored by his corporation, TB12. Wouldn't that be cool? I should suggest that. Hey, can you get big enough to where you just buy the naming rights to yeah. the stadium?
0: Or at least TB, cool that TB12 field at Raymond James Stadium or what? You know how they do yeah, that yeah. stuff now. Yeah, like yeah. So.
1: Ben Hill Griffith field it. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: That would be awesome, <laughs> man. That would just be awesome. So, yeah, I, I, I love it. Um, he's not there yet. I don't know that one year. If, you know, if something happens and he doesn't play this year and he never plays again, eh, that might be a stretch. But, hey, if he does what I think he's going to do and he plays one or two more years – it's very possible. I would. I, I'll say this: he will have he will have earned his way into it from a financial standpoint. You know how much money he's putting in everybody's pockets right now, <laughs> including his own. It's incredible. I mean, he. You know, they could ha, they could sell two stadiums every Sunday this next season if they wanted to. That that's how
0: popular they are. Right. They, now. they need to go play their games up in Gainesville. You know, get a few more. Yeah, thousand people ninety in
1: thousand. There. Right.
0: Exactly. All right, less asked. First-round draft picks are slotted, so what kind of contract can Joe Tryon expect? The fifth-year team option for first-rounders is valuable, so are you surprised they took a quarterback in round two, knowing that they may only have two years to see if Trask is the guy? Well, as you know, the rookies, um, their their contracts
1: are sort of slotted. They have what's called a rookie salary pool. It's not like the old days prior to 2011, I think, um, you know where – if you drafted a quarterback, especially in the first round, he might be guaranteed, if he was in the top of the first round, $50 million before he played a game. Um, that's not the case. So if you look at last year's number 32 pick, um, you go to this website called Spotrack. They're estimating um, that Kyle Trask will probably sign a four-year deal worth about $11.2 million, get about $5.5 million to sign. His base salary is going to be the minimum, the rookie minimum, um, which is something under 600000 I think. So the combination of signing bonus, salary, and all of that for the next four years totals $11.2 million. Um So that's what the contract looks like. As far as, you know, his chances and, and, and whether it was a good decision, bad decision, um, given the fact that he was, you know, uh, in the second round and not the first, so they don't have a fifth-year option where they can extend him or, you know, prevent him from, from reaching free agency by just – taking the the team option there in the fifth year, um, that might run, come into play if, if Brady just never retires. I mean, you know, I think, you know, Tom is down, uh, certainly redid his contract. He's down to play 2021 and 22. It's not a slam dunk. He plays 22. I mean, I think he, I think in a private moment, he would tell you it's, he's been year to year for a little while. Um, and a lot of that is based predominantly on how he feels on, on you know, uh, I don't think there's any question that he's always going to have love for the game and always want to play quarterback. I think that will always um, be his his drive is to get out there and play. Um, but there will come a point where he'll know. You hope that you know maybe the skill set is deteriorating. So the fact that you have him for four years, here's what I'll say about having a guy in your building. You know, they know who Kyle Trask is, and they've they've watched him. They've they've obviously talked to a lot of coaches. The thing about Trask is that he's always been a late bloomer. Um, he was in high school. He sat behind Derek King and did not get to play. I mean, think about a guy whose whole high school career, you know, he could have transferred. He knew he wasn't going to start, and he stuck it out and still got a, an offer uh, and an opportunity to go and, and go to Florida. And then when he did, he was behind Felipe Franks and others, you know, buried on the depth chart. Again, didn't transfer, stuck it out, got his chance, and and just – you know, took off with it. And um, I think the Bucks are counting on that same sort of progression uh, to occur at the NFL level. Um, now, again, going back to my previous statement, they're not going to tell Brady when he's done. Brady's going to tell them when he's done. And they made it, unlike Aaron Rodgers, they made Brady aware of the fact about a month ago that, hey, we could very well end up with a quarterback in the second round. Um, he's not here to take your job. Um, but we think we need to get younger in the room. Uh, because the other two guys are 31 years old, and if, if the right guy is there and we think he's the right guy, we're going to take him. And, and they also knew that Brady, you know, and, and said as much, you know, no one's threatening Tom. Tom will play as long as Tom wants to play. So if, if Brady runs the clock out on Trask, that, that, could, that could certainly happen, but he'd have to play four years to do it. I just think that when they have Trask in there, And he's not under pressure to play. Now, he may be the backup sooner than you realize. I mean, right now, I think they're going to re-sign Blaine Gabbert at some point. They have, um, you know, Ryan Griffin, who probably would be the odd man out if Trask uh, stays on the team as their number three. And why wouldn't he, right? But in short order, I think that you're going to see Trask as, as the backup quarterback. And at that point, when that happens a year from now or whatever, you know, the slightest wobble or injury is going to get him in there. If he never gets to play, he's still – you just know. Like when when, when Pat, Patrick Mahomes went to Kansas City, um, he sat on the bench behind Alex Smith, and everybody knew that eventually Patrick Mahomes was going to be the guy. And Alex Smith, you know, they had a playoff team with Alex Smith, and they, they, they kept going to the playoffs with Alex. Um, but they didn't want to play Mahomes because his game was a little rough. You know, he needed some – some refinement. What they did know before he ever got in a game, and I think he got in a game maybe week 16 or 17, whatever it was, for the Chiefs, uh, his rookie season, um, they knew who what Patrick Mahomes was because they, they could tell. They could tell in, in practice. You can tell um, in meetings. You, you just know what you got. And I think they're going to know what they have in Kyle Trask. And when they're ready to turn to him, um, I don't think it'll be a surprise. I mean, they don't have a fifth-year option. Like I said, he's probably got to play before his contract runs out. But you know what? If he never does and and he's just a, you know, we don't really know what we got number two guy behind Brady and he becomes a free agent, then the second-round pick was okay. I mean, it's not – it's not like they gave up a top 10 pick in the draft for Kyle Trask. They well,
0: gave up the 30, the you know, the 64th pick or whatever it was. And if that happens, that means Brady's here for four years, so you're pretty happy anyway.
1: That means you won, <laughs> right. That means you, you, damn, you did really well, both financially. Uh, you, got, you got trophies in the, in the case. Yeah, so no one's going to be going, oh, man, but Kyle Trask. That ain't going to happen. That conversation won't happen, I don't think. Look, we all know Tom Brady's playing
0: in 2022 here. Because when he wins the ninth Super Bowl this year, how can you not come back for number 10? (laughs) How can you not go for 10, right? I mean, come (laughs) on, man. One for every finger. Goodness gracious.
1: Exactly.
0: All right, we'll switch to baseball here. And rooting for uf asked, did the Rays commit too quickly to Brendan Lau? You know, I think if you look at any snapshot of a season,
1: uh, and it doesn't matter, it, it could be in April, it could be in May, it could be in June, July, August, all the way through October, and we saw it in October. You're going to find a stretch almost with any hitter where they're going to they're going to have a bad month. They just are. They're not they're not going to light it up the way they typically would want to or or need to or do. There's very few guys that you know hit their benchmark every single month. I mean, if you're Mike Trout, maybe. Um, but there's not a lot Every, you know, the, the baseball is just, it's just, that's the game it is. It's a failure sport. You have to average it out throughout the entire season, whether that's, you know, usually 162 games, but we've seen it, we've seen it fewer, right. Um, like last year. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I try to stay away from saying, Oh man, uh Oh, storm clouds on the horizon. Here's, here's Brandon. Lott. He's not, he's not living up to his bill. First of all, let's let's consider the contract, okay? They signed him before he had even gotten to the big leagues. They thought so much of him that you know, they they believed they knew what they had um and they wanted to commit to him. So he did a 6-year deal, but it's it was $24 million. Now think about that. The Rays are a low payroll team. Um but to get a guy who potentially leads you in home runs, uh you know, that can play the infield and the outfield. I mean, they knew what they had. And that's why they they went ahead and incentivized him early uh, before his – and then what did he do? Once once he got that six-year $24 million deal, um, you know, he goes out in 2019 in 82 games, not even a full season, and he hits 17 home runs and is third in the Rookie of the Year balloting. Third. So, you know, comes back in a, a shortened season, hit 14 home runs, Uh, in just 56 games, and he's he's eighth in the in the league MVP voting, so he's been an all star. Uh, He he has been uh one of their best power hitters. His versatility in the the field is is pretty damn good. I mean, this is not we're not talking about Austin Meadows or something, um, you know where he can get kind of locked up out there in the outfield or certainly at second base or wherever they play him. So I mean, the guy to me, you know, for that little of money, when, when you talk about what they pay some of the top home run hitters on other teams, this isn't even close. Like, if anything, he's a he's a he's still a bargain. I just would caution anybody from saying, "Oh, this guy, you know, what a waste! What a waste! They committed to this guy, and now look, he can't his way out of a wet paper bag." Well, he didn't have a great month, you know. What he still hit some home runs though, and and he's going to hit more. And he he he's in a slump. I the whole team is. Show me who's going well right now. There's just not many guys swinging a good bat. So they'll go out to this West Coast trip. Um, they got to face the A's again. But, you know, the last road trip, you know, when they went on it, people were writing them off for dead, probably including me. Uh, and then they won five, five out of six. So, you know, it, it, they, funny things happen when you all get on together on the road and change a venue and you get some fans in the stands and you're playing outdoor baseball. And, you know, um, these guys, they, they've hit before. My thing is this and I've always believed this, that, and coaches believe this too, if they can get it from you once, then it's there, right? The trick is how do we get this out of you all the time? Because we already know what he is. I mean, he's he's a hell of a good good player with rare power for a guy his size. I mean, he has such quick hands um, and usually, you know, can hit left-handers as well as right-handers. So he's not a guy you necessarily have to platoon. He's scuffling. He's scuffling like the rest of the team, and and. You know, he, he cares, and he probably puts way too much pressure on himself, but they've seen him do it. They've seen him carry this baseball team. So, no, for that kind of money, it's, it's, it, is a, it is a bargain, and it is already halfway through the contract. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the other thing. I mean, wait till you see what the next contract looks like if you think this
0: one was big. Well, yeah. So, just to clarify, too, he made a million the first year, a million five. He's making two five this year, and then it keeps going up. Then there's two option years for the team after mm-hmm. the contract ends. So I, I would mm-hmm. – look, he's scuffling. He had a bad postseason. He's – spring training, he wasn't very good either. Um, what, about batted 179 in spring training with no home runs. And what bothers me is the batting average is down to 200 for him, is that he's a better hitter than that. I mean, if the home runs don't come, that's okay. But there's no way Brendan Lyle should be batting 200. Mm. I mean, that's that's what concerns me. I mean, you're only a month in the season you can't write it off or anything else, but you'd really like to see that, you know, I mean, well, he's got 19 hits and 31 strikeouts.
1: The contact is the thing that's scary. He should be making more contact than he is. And I don't know, you know, whether he's trying to launch everything or just wh- what's going on there, but the swing and miss is what would bother me, you know.
0: By the way, I texted you last night and I don't, you don't think you responded, but I heard it. Yes. I was watching sports center after we recorded the podcast mm-hmm. They mentioned in April there was a thousand more strikeouts in baseball than hits. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> One thousand. In the month of that was in the month of April.
1: Have you watched a game? This is true. Yeah. Have you watched a game? And I would challenge everybody. You know, there used to be a time, in fact, they still have the K board up there at Tropicana. There used to be a time. Were ten strikeouts? If a team struck out another team ten times during a game,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know you you get a free pizza, right? I mean, like it, it was a big deal. It was yeah. a big deal. I would challenge you to go into the box scores and find me a game where there wasn't at least ten strikeouts. Mm-hmm. You almost it almost can't you'd almost never see it. No, you see ten strikeouts per team per game every game, every game, and it's just it, it's the change yeah. in approach of the of of, of the game. It yeah. strikeouts. That's the biggest thing. Like. Man, I wish when I was growing up that people had told me it's okay to strike out, because that was the most embarrassing thing. That was the mm-hmm. hardest thing that I that I had to get over mentally. You know, you play in a failure sport where if you fail seven out of ten times, they call you the greatest player that ever lived. But you know, when you struck out, that was a particular rub. Like that was like, ooh, I didn't even make contact. I I took strike three. I swung and missed. And it's just you on that stage, right? And it was like, ah. Oh. And you know, and it was it's such a you know it's such a letdown. Like you'd feel better hitting a pop up to the infield. I believe me. They're both outs. You just feel better than striking mm-hmm. out. Striking out those it's just a it's a gut punch. I watch Nowadays? my kids, 6
0: and 7 year olds. I mean, they're they're devastated yeah. when they strike out.
1: Oh, it's you know, because you're there. I mean, that's when we all learn to play baseball, right? The hardest thing to get over is forget about everybody's watching you. You mm-hmm. know, like cuz as much as it's a team sport, it's not. It's an individual sport. You know, there you got players behind you and when you're in the field you can kind of hide if the ball's not hit your way or whatever. But at the end of the day, the guy on the mound has the baseball. He's going to throw it towards the plate. And the guy, singular guy, is mound against hitter. He has to swing and try to make contact. That's the game. That's the game. That's the whole game. Um, and so, you know, you're watching two guys going mano-a-mano, every at-bat, every pitch. And and to fail like that is is really hard, especially at a young age, that's why the hardest thing to do is to convince players that are learning how to play the game is like hey look don't be and this is i think joe madden did this even at the big league level better than anybody ever knew was hey don't be so caught up in the results okay let's let's just let's do the process let's let's get out there let's take good swings let's organize our strike zone let's go up there every time try to barrel up a ball um you know let's have an approach that works for us like you know, let's be consistent, and over time, you know, if you hit the ball hard enough, often enough, your hits are going to fall in. It'll, the old adage, which never worked for me, but it's like, oh, they all even out in the end. No, they don't, because if you rip a line drive at somebody, there's not going to be a bleeder coming next. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you have to be okay with that. You know, it's just, it's it's hard to hit. It's hard to hit, man. And these guys, I'm telling you, I watch the you know the other part of, the, of this is these guys are up there trying to launch. Well, have you seen the power arms in baseball? I'm, everybody can throw upper 90s, like not mid 90s, but like 97, mm-hmm. 97, 98. 90, every team has like two, three, four guys coming out of the bullpen that do that. And more than that. The whole stables. Yeah, <laughs> right, the whole stables, yeah, like the Rays. So, I mean, geez, I mean, you know, why not go up there and don't get cheated? You know, like the punch and Judy thing, and, and then they got all the analytics, right, that shows where a strikeout is actually better for a team. Um, than if you were to put the ball in play and hit into a ground ball double play, so there's that too. I, I I don't like the direction of the game, and now I think what they've done is, the little contact there is they've deadened the baseball, and so now the ball's not going out of the park as much. I don't think I don't have anything to back that up by the way, but I, I I've watched enough games where I've seen enough balls. That I thought, oh, that's gone, and they're dying, and they're dying deliberately because they they wanted to take the juice out of the ball a little bit, create more action. Um, but if if people are still going up there and striking out at a, at a higher rate than they get hits, that's that's not working. The dead ball, all that's doing is creating more outs. And you know, um, there's contact, but the ball's not flying out of the park. I don't know. It, it's 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 something I can't really get my arms around. I I still think to me, it's better to put pressure on a defense and try to make contact than with two strikes to go up there and swing as if it's it's two and zero. Um, because it's a different approach when it's two and zero than when you got two strikes on you. But anymore, they tell the guys, "Hey, don't get cheated, man. You know, get get your rips even if it's two strikes." And and that's what they're doing. So I I don't agree with it, but that
0: I learned how to play a different game than they did. All right, Michael asks: After struggling to produce offense in the twenty twenty postseason, why didn't the Rays add any bats in the off season? Um. Well, the 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 easiest answer is
1: they couldn't afford to, you know, and I don't know really who the pool of free agents would have been that they would have considered adding. I also think that, you know, they went to the world series a year ago. Now, did they, did they slump in the world series? Yes. Did they run into, um, the other team that had the best pitching in, in baseball? Yes. Um, you know, the Dodgers won an awful lot of baseball games and, and pitched really, really well. So you, you know, it it was unfortunate that they, their bats got quiet when they did, but I I don't know, man. I mean, this is sort of who they are, you know. I I don't I don't know where were you who are you going to add and whose place was he going to take. You had every reason to believe that even Austin Meadows, who came in with COVID, had a bad year. That he could get back to his 2019 form, where he hit 33 home runs and was an All Star, I think, or was you know should have been if he wasn't. Um, you know, yeah, I mean. I'm trying to think about the line. Brandon Lau, we already talked about. Um, I think it
0: was more of a numbers game. I mean, outside of Brandon Lau and Kiermaier, most of the bats are are not making a lot of money. So anybody you bring in, I mean, who are you taking out? And are they that much better for how much more you're going to have to pay for it? Right. than a Rosarina or Austin Meadows or, or Kiermaier or, or Margot yeah. or Brett right. Phillips. Or you look right. at the infield and you've got, you know, Susugo and Lau and Wendell and Adamas and Brasso and G-Man Choi. And, you know, you're hoping Wander Franco potentially comes up this year. And, and you know, so who are you who are you bringing in that's significantly better than what you have and factoring mm-hmm. the cost of that in too, knowing that free agents generally cost you more money. So, um, I, I don't and where's know where's he going to Well, yeah, and then you know, then you got to figure out where you're going to play. So because you know.
1: you've got you've got so many outfielders, and the thing about the Rays is, that no matter what you want to say about their offense, which is dreadful right now, um, they're built on pitching and defense. Like they don't even make any bones about it. Like they're going to play a lot of low scoring games, one run games, and they expect to win them. And you know, because of that, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to have all this pitching and develop all these guys, like they have. you know their success is predicated on run prevention not accumulation but that's so true like it is you know so i can't just sign anybody like what if the guy can't play the in the infield is he going to dh all the time is that what we're going to do let's just Um, go yeah then yeah exactly right and so you'd have to be one hell of a dh you know to to make your bones um getting paid by the rays to to go up there and and you know go one for four i mean i i i think that that they like the guys that they have because, and you just look at the outfield. So Kiermaier is the highest paid guy on the team, right? He's like around $11 million or something like that. I want to say as far as position players go, um, the calculus they made was they're not keeping Kevin Kiermaier for his bat, but they're keeping it for his glove and the number of of runs he keeps off the board. So whether you drive in a run or you keep one off the board, they're all, it's a, it's a, you're trying to, you know, it's, you're trying to outscore the other team. So, you know, they have valued defense way more than they have a bunch of big boppers. You know, I remember I go back to the hit show, remember that, with uh, the old Devil Rays and yeah, Jose, Jose Canseco can and those yeah. guys. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, and, and the Rays have had big home run years and lost the most games they've ever lost, too, before. You know, they've lost over 100 games when they hit a ton of home runs. So that doesn't necessarily buy you wins. I think they're buying wins with their winning formula, which is pitching and defense, and and just uh, you know, and 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 they think that there's an upside. They think that Meadows has an upside. They think that Lau has an upside. They're counting on guys getting better. You know, I mean, Randy Orozarin, are you kidding me? What he did in the postseason? What if that transformed or translated for 162 games? What what kind of player would he be? You know, perennial all star. So, um, it's always nice to add a bat, but then you go, well, where's where's he going to go? Where's he going to fit in? Where's where's he going to play? You know, um. I don't know. I, I, I know why they stood. I mean, like I said, they got the game six of the World Series. It wasn't like they needed wholesale changes here.
0: Hmm. All right, Brian asks, do you see G-Man Choi helping to solidify the first base position and possibly bringing more quality at bats once he's back with the club?
1: God, I hope so. Can't imagine he <laughs> wouldn't. And I'll say this about G-Man. You know what? You know what when you, there's two things you miss, that team misses, and this is not to be – listen, this, listen to me now. This is about team, okay, and the grind of baseball and, and what they had last year that doesn't seem to be quite there this year. G-Man Choi, okay, uh, defensively, even more than his bat, and I would thought I'd never say that about the guy because you look at him and go, yeah, what kind of athlete are you? Look, he, he was a really good first baseman. He dug out a lot of bad throws from Willie Adamas. He has the stretch, all that stuff. He gets some timely hits. He has some power. You know what G-Man Choi does? He brings joy to that locker room or to that clubhouse. That guy is energy. That guy is fun. He's fun. And winning is fun. But even if you're not winning, he's fun. He's just he's fun to be around. He makes he makes the game like the, the way it's supposed to be played by kids that just love playing baseball. And you're a grown-ass man, you've been doing it since you're eight years old. Sometimes You know, it becomes a business, not a game. And he brings the game back to that team. I think they miss him in the clubhouse. I know they miss him at first base. And they certainly could use his bat right about now. So G-Man Choi is going to bring a lot to this party, I think. They're going to be damn glad to see him in the the dugout every day. That's going to be huge for them.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot All right, we got a couple of tweets uh, based on the show you and Tom did last week talking about changes in baseball and what you'd like to see. Mm-hmm. So Jerry, first of all, says, on the defensive shifts, I was always taught to hit the ball where it was pitched. Is not allowing pitchers to throw inside with impunity because they have five fielders on that side of the field give them too much of an advantage? And I hate that it ended Carlos Pena's career.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know about if that's what ended Carlos Pena's career, although he did. they did – he did hit into the shift a lot. Where it's pitched, hitting where it's pitched. Y- you know, here's the thing, like, they're going to – it's really a chess match a little bit up there at the plate. Like, they are going to try to throw to your weaker areas. Like, they have all these red zones, you know, like here's where the guy really mashes. Here's where, you know, he's cold. Here, you know, You try to hit, you know, different spots in the strike zone with different pitches. Um, and they got it broken down, you know, six ways to Sunday. Um, but, I mean, really the adjustment is the hitters, you know. And here's what you fall into. If I'm a power hitter, if I'm a guy that, that you know, gets around the ball and pulls it and, and hits hits it a long way, and they're giving me an entire side of the infield that's open, right. Let's say I'm able to control the bat. First of all, they're not going to throw me away from the shift. Like, they're going to pitch me so that I hit the ball into the shift. Right? They're not, they're not going to say, you know, we, we've got an open field over here, so let's make sure we pitch him outside so that, you know, he hits the ball where we don't have a single infielder. Um, so they're going to pitch you the way they play you, or they're going to play you the way they pitch you, chicken and the egg thing. So there's that. But let's say even you just decide, you know what, screw it. I'm tired of hitting the shift. I'm going to stick my bat out here and fungo one through the open field. You know what they say? Good, thanks. Any day you want a base hit, go for it. Good for you. You got a you got a single. Hey, that's better than the guy getting. There, there's a reason it's respect. They know the guy's going to hit the ball hard. They know he's going to get around it and pull it, and that's why there's you know five infielders on that side of the diamond hoping they can get in front of one of those bullets. So they're more than happy to you know concede the occasional. Let me let me slap one over here because he threw it outside and the left side of the infield's open. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's definitely an advantage to the defense to allow these shifts to occur. Um, and I think that the, what baseball is wrestling with is, you know, we don't have enough action. And one of the reasons we don't have enough action is that we allow this many infielders on one side of the diamond. And when these guys do hit the ball hard, they're not rewarded for it. So that's sort of a different question. You know, it's like, you know, do you want to legislate offense? They did it in the NFL, you know. They did it in the NFL. You can't hit a quarterback uh, anywhere, anywhere above you know above the number, or above the chest, or, or, you know, at the knees. You can't even touch them. You can't touch receivers. You know, if it's more than five yards, you can't put a hand on them. You certainly can't hit them, you know, over the middle. Guys are fearless running over there. So what happened? What was the result? Plenty of offense, plenty of scores, plenty of touchdowns. If you want to do that in baseball, you can do it. You can outlaw the shifts altogether. Or you can say, you know, as some have suggested that, okay, if you go into a shift, everybody has to have their feet on the dirt. You know, you can't go out into right field. They're experimenting with that
0: in some of the minors, the low minor leagues this year. And I
1: actually like that rule. I actually like that rule. I think that even though there's a shift, it still gives the hitter a chance because the guy's not playing short right field.
0: So when does um, the first team make the infield grass go all the way out to you know near the <laughs> exactly. warning track? Well, <laughs> that's the other rule. So you have to have a rule to cover that rule. You have to have a
1: rule that says that the cutout has to be no further than this many feet from home plate. Like that's going to be a thing. Like if you did that, you'd have to somebody would try to. I don't know what happened. Our lawn
0: guy just totally tore up this grass. <laughs> we had to right. pull it out. So it's that's right. <laughs> that's
1: right. Guys are wearing like uh, you know turf colored uh cleats to make it look like they're actually on the turf when they're in the grass it's, you know there's giving me all kinds of like shenanigans going on out there with the, with the groundskeeper but yeah it's funny but yeah they will find an edge somehow the easiest thing to be would be would be just to say you can't have this many infielders on either side of the dime you just keep them you know keep them over there but i don't know i think they're afraid i think they you know how much do you want to change the game you know what the NFL did it they did it and you know no one's, no one's complaining that, that teams can put up 30 a game every single game.
0: You know, the defensive players are complaining about it, but nobody cares. Yep. The game is better. So. All right, Dave had a couple, and we'll take them one at a time. His first change, he said, how about issuing a walk on ball three instead of ball four and maybe widen home plate that would make uh, more pitches strikes? Each pitch would then be more meaningful. Well,
1: I can tell you as a hitter, you better not widen that plate because... <laughs> because it's wide enough. Um, you know, you got a 34, 35-inch bat. Uh, unless you want to stand on top of it and get, get hit in the ribs a few times, it's hard to cover that sucker, especially with the wicked breaking stuff that these guys have now. What was his other suggestion?
0: Widen the plate or? Uh, ball three is a walk instead of ball four. Making ball each pitch three more is meaningful. a walk. It's kind of like the debate that, that's gone on in college basketball. and I, I know Dick Vitale has pushed for let's give every player six fouls to foul out because he doesn't want to see players foul out. Mm-hmm. And I think it should be four fouls to foul out so that players don't foul as much. I think if mm-hmm. you teach them not mm-hmm. to foul, it's better than giving them more fouls because right. watching fouls in basketball is boring.
1: I don't, exactly. Free throws are free, boring. No, free, no one cares. I, yeah. want to see, yeah. I
0: want to see action. I want to see movement. I want to see passing. I want to see... Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I, Dick Vitale has argued for six fouls. I'm like, no, put it down to four so we teach them not to foul. Let's, you know, ball let's...
1: three would. I mean, if you if you could if you got walked on ball three, it would definitely increase the offense. There's no question. That's but that that's see that's one of those things where you're so dramatically altering the strategy of the game, the you know the actual mm-hmm. rules of the game. Yep. It's it's a little. I mean, it's not like they've decided in you know during the pandemic and they've kept it and you know to prevent extra innings and um, you know they put a guy on second, which is you know also not baseball. Um, but I'm less I have less of a problem with that. If you make a three three pitches could be a walk, you're gonna chew through a lot of pitchers, man. There's gonna be a lot of runners, a lot of runs. I don't know.
0: I don't I don't know that I want to go that far. It would definitely make for a more offensive game though, for sure. His other suggestion is pitchers and catchers are no longer hitters and the batting order is only the seven fielders. That would lead to more offense and far more exciting games, more regular at bats for the stars. What do you think? Well, I think if you're if you're a catcher that can swing the
1: bat, you're not against, you're not for that. But, well, I, um, I
0: would say, I would amend that and say your pitcher and one other player doesn't have to, one other to player. Bat. I mean, yeah. you could pick, you know, if you wanted it to be your shortstop that day, you want it to be, you know, mm-hmm. Sutsugo playing first base, that's fine. I mean, you know, you pick your guy.
1: So you have a designated hitter and maybe two is what it amounts to. Well,
0: it sounds like he had no designated He said only the seven fielders in his scheme.
1: Okay, so they just keep on they just keep coming around those mm-hmm. seven guys over yeah. around and around, yeah.
0: around. I mean, you and I have talked about I've often said they should get rid of the designated hitter and the pitcher and just have eight f- batters. Mm-hmm. Is that way, you know, Mike Trouts and Bryce Harpers and those Come guys are more. batting more. Randy Rosarina's batting more often because you know the first three batters in your lineup are guaranteed to get a fourth at bat in that game.
1: Right. Well, you know the unions never going to go for outlawing the DH because yes. it provides a bunch of more jobs and that's you know, you get a lot of guys that can't play the field that can still swing it, and they're going to play long and all that stuff. Um, I just, I mean, first of all, let's get rid of the pitcher hitting. I mean, come on, this is 2021, and we're we're honoring a tradition of the National League uh, where pitchers hit. That's so
0: stupid. There's hey, not a level of baseball where the pitcher hits. Jacob Degrom has scored more runs than he's given up pitching this year. Well, that's cuz he's a damn good pitcher.
1: <laughs> it's not, I mean, hey, maybe he can swing it. Every now and then there's a guy that can swing it, but I'm here to tell you I don't you're not paying money to go see him do it, you know, and that's what's happening. And um, you know, I just never understood why every level of baseball, you know, has a DH except the National League and Major Leagues. I think that's so going to get fixed, fixed in that. the next
0: CBA, which and which I think so. Should, you know, assuming they don't have a lockout or a strike next year, it will take place next year, yeah. so. Again,
1: I'm I'm a little like Shifts and things like that. I think I think you could legislate strategy um, if you thought that it would make for a better game. I'm not for changing the actual structure of the game. Like I still think four balls should be a walk and three strikes should be a strikeout. I don't want it to turn into something you know like we would play on the sandlot. You know where you get you get two pitches and you got to call your field and you know you're playing with six six guys from the neighborhood because you don't have nine. Um, uh, I don't want. I don't want to go that far with it, but it is interesting though. Three balls
0: is a walk. Boy,
1: there'd be a lot of
0: walks, man. But if you missed that show that you did with Tom last week, you can download it anywhere you get your podcast. Mm-hmm. So I think it was last Wednesday. Wednesday so it would have been the twenty eighth. I think it was. So uh, if, you wanna, if you want, if you want to go back and listen to that, so you guys talked almost, almost a whole hour about it. So yeah,
1: we did. We had some good ideas.
0: All right, rooting for UF. asked. Will the Lightning be able to integrate Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos and flip the switch to playoff hockey?
1: Well, that's, that's kind of two questions there. I mean, one, we don't know. It, it, I think it looks like Kucherov is probably going to make it back. They're still going to have, I think, an extra week with Canada wrapping up after the Lightning season is over, which not only gives them a chance to heal, but maybe actually get out there and skate a little bit with their team. We'll see. Um I think they've kind of flipped the switch. You've seen these last few games. They're way better defensively now. And I think that they are – I think they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. This is what this team is about. It was that way last year. You know, after they dropped four in Columbus, it wouldn't matter what they did in the regular season. It was what they were going to do in the postseason. And the same is true about the defending Stanley Cup champions. They know they have a great hockey team. They've been at or near the top of the division all year. And to me, it's just, you know – you know you're gonna make the playoffs, you 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 know, can't wait to get there, you know how to navigate the postseason, you have the greatest goaltender in the world who they seem to be trying to rest right now. Um I I don't know that they have to flip a switch per se. They do need to be healthy. You know, you, you can't you couldn't lose Vaslevsky. You don't want you don't want to be without headman or point or some of the major guys. And if you get a Kucherov back, if he's if he's even 80%, just the way he sees the ice, um, you know he's working hard. So if he comes back, will he be in c- complete game shape? No. But you know what he'll have, perhaps? Maybe some fresh legs. You know, this is the other thing. These guys have gone through the rigors of maybe not a full season, but a, but a long one, nonetheless. So, I, I mean, I, I think they seem to be playing the type of mm-hmm. hockey you need to play to win in the playoffs right now, I think.
0: Yep. Well, in fairness to the question, I think he uh, emailed that last week, so... Uh, it was after we, no, that's we recorded fine. the that's mailbag. Fine. So I, I think in the last week or two, really maybe even three weeks, you've seen them starting to flip that switch. I mean, right now they're playing much better hockey in their own zone. Um, the amount of uh, – and, and Dave Michigan was going through this earlier on Monday. The amount of chances or, or shots that the teams have given up. Um, in the last seven or eight games, it's been 25 or less, with the exception of the one game against Chicago – where they gave up 40 shots. But there wasn't a lot of great scoring chances in there, and Chicago had seven power plays, which led to a lot of those shots too. It was a crazy game. Of The Lightning took way too many penalties in that game. But if you really look at how they're holding other teams to low shot totals, and and, and even those shots they're getting off, a lot of them aren't great shots. I mean, they're mm-hmm. on net, but they're not, they're not hard saves for Vazzy or whoever's in net. Um, they're starting to play that type of hockey. Now, the offense hasn't come around as much as you'd like to see yet. But note that the power play still looks lost without Kucher and or Stammer. Mm-hmm. And how much that the I mean, Cooch when he comes back, whether it's game one of the playoffs or even if it's a little later, he's going to – it's going to make Brain's points game so much better, and he's already playing better now than he was most of the season. Because on that line, I mean, points with Bari Boulay and, and Palat. Mm-hmm. Palat's a great player goes in the corners, gets what you need. He plays very well with Braden Point and Cooch or Stammer, who's been on those lines before. But he's not a threat to, to carry the puck and bring it up and, and to create chances, right?
1: Mm-hmm. He's a
0: valuable player on that line and and you know will continue on that line once Cooch is back. Barry Boulay is a young player who's got some skill, who's showing you that he's got game and, and can play in this league and that. But nobody's worried about him yet. You put Cooch on that line with Brayden Point, and how much more open space does Brayden Point get to skate? And when Brayden Point gets open space, how much more opportunities does the Lightning have? And when Cooch has the puck on his ice, how many more opportunities can Brayden Point get because he can get to open spaces? Right. Because, you know, I mean, as good as Pallott or Barry Boulay or whoever you're putting on that line is, they're not Cooch. And what Cooch can do, even at 60 or 70%, if he's not 100% back. Now, he's not cleared for contact yet, so we don't know he'll be back for the start of the playoffs yet. We... The hope is he'll be quickly there or right around there, but we don't know yet. So, but can he just slide in? And, and you know, supposedly, I mean, John Cooper mentioned he's not cleared for contact, but his skating, everything looks really good. He's in shape, all that stuff. Um, you know, I think some of that, some of that stuff is not as prevalent as it used to be. Where you know, players would get out of shape in the off season or even when they get hurt. That's not mm-hmm. what players do today. They're mm-hmm. in shape year round. They don't take days off from staying in shape. I mean, they, they right. may not skate every day, but they eat right, they work out right, they sleep right. They, you know, they have whole regimens that that the team doctors and trainers and everybody gives them. That you know, I think it's a little easier sometimes to come back outside of just whatever the actual injury is that can hinder you. You know, I mean, we saw Braden Point wasn't 100% when he came back from the same surgery at the start of the 2020 season, 1920. Mhm. You know, so will Cooch be hundred percent? I doubt it, but him at fifty or sixty or seventy percent still better than most of the players on the team. Or in the league for that matter. I mean he's a top ten player in the league. So I, I I think they can. I mean Stamkos, you know, I we don't I don't think he's skating yet. I mean, you're not seeing him out at practices and stuff. I mean he's probably skating, but you know, how far along he is and when he'll be back, not not sure yet. But if you can get Cooch back that I mean, you know, they went through the playoff run last year without Stamp Coach. You'd rather have him, but if you can get Cooch back and how dynamic of a playmaker he is, that instantly makes their offense a lot better. Sure does. All right, Michael. We'll wrap up with asked: Why did the Glazers think watering down the Champions League would be a good idea for Manchester United in soccer? Boy, have they gotten some heat on
1: that, huh? Uh, that was a big, big story. I was away in Chicago um, for a couple of days over the weekend, and I. <laughs> Turn on my TV uh, or my, my in-law's TV, and boy, um, they had on one of these channels, I think, from over there. And, man, um, yeah, kind of an ugly scene. Got a game canceled, you know, storming the field, all that. I mean, they didn't, they didn't tear up old Tratford or anything, but, I mean, it was not a uh, not a good look. Listen, um, I don't the, – the easy answer for why they thought it was a good idea is revenue, Okay, how do we make more money? That's all it was. Um and not surprisingly, the Glazers, maybe other uh owners, some from the United States, um may have felt the same way. I mean clearly they had enough they had enough juice to, to sort of propose this league and, and they had the heavyweights all involved until they got the pushback. And boy do they get the pushback. And I mean it was absolute. Now Let's be honest, because John Romano wrote about this in the Tampa Bay Times. Um, you can scream, yell, if you wanted to. I wouldn't recommend it. Burn down the stadium. Bring the pitchforks. All of that, right? You can do all of that. And they, and quite frankly, this has been going on for a minute. Maybe not to this level of of, uh, of noise. But the Glazers are not selling Manchester United, okay? And no one can make them. No one. Seriously, like... It's a business. They own it, okay? They own it. They 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 systematically, Malcolm, back in the day, started buying up shares from different investors, different owners, and he got the majority interest, and so therefore they make all the critical decisions. End of story. And most of the profits go to that family. End of story. Why am I going to sell something, you know, simply because you don't like the way it's managed or, or you know, and and I'm I'm not defending this whole notion of this super league because clearly some people were a little tone deaf. I mean, I will I will give you this. There's very few um billionaires that decide that their idea to make more billions is so bad that they shut it down after a couple of days because of just the overwhelming consensus uprising from all football fans in Europe. I mean it was it was it was really something to see. It was like, no, you guys aren't doing that. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, sorry, bad idea. But why did they do it? I mean, they, they, there's money. They thought they could make money doing it. That's why. It's, it's simple. The, the Glazers, you have to understand, they are businessmen. I mean, Malcolm, um, I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. I don't know that he knew if the ball was pumped or stuffed. And, frankly, I don't think he cared, you know. There was a time when he owned the Bucks before he bought Man U. You know who he was trying to buy? The Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, does he care anything about baseball? No. He didn't care anything about baseball. You know what he wanted? An iconic brand. An iconic sports brand. He wanted to be one of the big-time, own one of the big-time franchises. He was one of 32 in Tampa, you know, and he won a Super Bowl in 2 um, Unfortunately, Malcolm fell ill to, you know, uh, shortly thereafter to a stroke, um, and now the, the the team is run by their family but this is a self-made guy i mean this is a guy that you know supported his family from the time he was a kid sold you know watches at on street corners all of that i mean his his go look up his wikipedia page you think he's worried that somebody thinks that he shouldn't own something no he was a corporate raider how much pushback do he think he got when he went into companies and gutted them and then sold them for a profit i mean you know the it's show. It's it's not show. Friends. It's show business. They, they don't. They can be cold and calculating. And you know what? Their biggest failure is that I think. And at times they've done this in Tampa, and at times they have not. We only speak to one of them once a year. It's usually Joel um, at the at the uh, combine or thereabouts, or the owners' meetings. Usually, uh, it's the owners' meetings. Uh, and you know, but it's 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 really a good family. I think. I think what they need to do, and I w- I've recommended this with the Bucks, and I've recommended, and I would recommend this to them over there, is you don't have to give anything up. You don't have to say, "Yeah, you're right, we're selling the team." That's never going to happen. What you could do is be a little more accountable. What you could do is be a little more accessible. When I say a little more, uh, at all, like be accessible at all, like over there, they have, there's no access. I don't even think, I don't think anybody talks to a Glazer like even once a year. You know, I don't think I think that builds distrust. Um and maybe some of it's warranted, maybe some of it's not. They don't tend to see you as just a family, which is what they are. Um and so I I would encourage them, as John Romano has in his column, to like, hey, look, um, two things. One, you guys can, can scream and yell, stomp your feet and turn blue. They're not selling the team. Okay, it's not happening. So what what's a better alternative? Well, try to get the Glazers to a point where they'll listen, you know, try to get them to a point where they, and the funny thing is like with the Bucks, they were all too consumed at times with what fans were saying. Like I, I thought there was a time when, you know, they put their hand on the scale and probably shouldn't have, whether it was for Roberto Aguayo or, you know, look, they. there's a reason why they like these fan websites and they're personally invested in them. They they want to hear what their fans have to say on these chat um, chat lines and things. And they read those comments, and it influences some of their decisions. They want to know what their fans are saying about them um and I'm sure they're not happy with what they're saying about them over there but i think I think whether you took questions or maybe made a statement or just you know somehow provided a little bit more window into who you are uh you wouldn't be so demonized you know they're demonized because they're not from europe they're demonized because they Uh, didn't pay cash for the franchise. They're demonized because they're the, you know, interloping Yankees that are here just to suck all the money out of the, out of the franchise. And you know, the funny thing is, people said the same thing about their ownership with the Bucks. You know, it was like they don't care about the Bucks anymore. They're all about Man U. And then I'd go to London. They play a game over there, and I read stories about they don't care about Man U. They're all about the Bucks. They're siphoning money off of Man U to pay for the Bucks. So everybody's distrustful. Uh, and part of that is that I just don't think the Glazers do, or even attempt to try to be accountable um, when those things come up. But it got ugly early over there, man. It's it's as bad. The fervor is as bad as it's ever been. And but do I think that that's going to drive them away from their biggest investment of all their holdings, and that keeps getting you know worth more and more every year? Hell no, it's not going to. So. Yeah, I would just say this too will pass, you know. And look, they they and the other teams did the right thing in realizing, you know what, this is a bad idea. We gotta we gotta backpedal, man. We we gotta well, get out of this. Out of they this are jam. for now.
0: I don't think it's a dead idea. I think it's on hold or pause.
1: Yeah, until the fervor wears down. But I yeah. and it'd be. I mean, I don't know.
0: It, well, they may go about it a little differently and 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 do some things. You know. You know, we talked about it yesterday. Is you know, part of the problem is there's going to be 20 teams in this league, and 15 of them were guaranteed spots every year, no matter what. You know, it's like the you know the United Nations. You're the Security Council. You can't be booted off, no matter what. Right. Well, that's not the way European soccer is played. No. Never has been. It's always been about you earn your spot. Yeah, if you're not good enough, you you're out, and, you and earn, the little you man, earn your the little man up. can, the little man can beat the big man. That's right? why. That's why and, Leicester City a few years ago, when they came mm-hmm. out of nowhere and won won the Premier League, right, and went to the Champions League, and all of a sudden they're cashing in big checks because of the Champions League.
1: And that's what's great about football mm-hmm. over there. That that's really what what the the culture is.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the owners there have to make sure you put a good enough team out there to stay to stay relevant in the league.
1: There you go. Um
0: mm-hmm. and if you want to keep getting the paychecks of the Premier League mm-hmm. and then the Champions mm-hmm. League or whether you're in La Liga or Bundesliga or any you know, whichever league you're in. Right. It just all operates the same. You know, the bottom teams get relegated down and the, the top teams and the minors go up and, and it does that throughout the whole system. And yeah. you know, I think that's where you know that's where the Champions League won. You know, I mean would it be great to see Messi and and Harry Kane and Ronaldo and all those guys playing all the time, absolutely it would be and it would be great for fans. Yeah, but, but and and can they get there someday? Maybe, but it it this guaranteeing of who's staying where is is you know that's what's got the fans I think upset the most. Yep, I agree, and um,
1: I don't I don't know that they're going to wear them down, but uh, they they do need to be more accountable and be nice to see them, you know, in front of microphones once in a while, no matter how unpleasant that might be for them. But I don't, I also don't think that, that they're ever going to do it. They're not going to change the way they do business. They're just not that type, you know, they're never going to be out front. Um, They're always going to be behind the scenes and, and they've been that way. I mean, look, they do a lot in this community and they are visible and they're Mm -hmm. visible with, um, you know, centers named after them, the Glazer Museum, the Jewish Community Center, like they've, They've left an actual, you know, handprint on this community, uh, and I think they have, with respect to the Bucks, been out there a little bit more. I, I I don't have anything compared to. I'm not in England, obviously. I don't know, but I I don't think there's much much access to them, if any. So, um, yeah, I. <laughs> it's interesting, though. I I tell you what, uh, we we don't appreciate Steve. I think this is true. We don't appreciate how big that is over there. You know what I mean? There's no way we can appreciate what Manchester United means. Mm-hmm. You know, what that brand means. I've tried to understand it. And I, I think it's the biggest brand in the world.
0: It probably is, yeah. I mean it's the Absolutely. biggest sport in the world.
1: It's the biggest, most well known team. Yeah. From Asia to to mm-hmm. Europe, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And even in the United States. I mean, look, we're we're watching premier games over here. Yep. So great questions man those those were good. We even got a soccer question in there. How about that? That might be uh one we're expanding of our first. <laughs> we're expanding the globe <laughs> to bring you the greatest in sports we're 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 a wide world of of podcast right now um thanks for that. so we've got the uh, Rays late night with the Rays all night all every night this week.
0: They're gonna be on the west coast. yeah, we're taping this on Monday afternoon before the game. uh unfortunately, yeah. we didn't discuss um beforehand monday is shohei otani versus tyler glass now which what a pitching performance so like that talk more about that later this week but
1: i want to see how how
0: shohei hits against tyler yeah the question is will he hit for himself so in his three starts this year two of them he has batted for himself yeah the third one they did dh him so my guess is he will hit but I imagine he will. It's a tough bat to take out. But by the That's time you hear this, you'll know because the game will have been over.
1: But it'll be over, yeah. But uh, but yeah, late night with the Rays, and then we got the Lightning are just what a couple games away from wrapping up their season. Four games: Wednesday, Saturday at home, and then Sunday, Monday on the road. So wow, wow! And the Bucks mini camp starts uh, next week. We think uh, it looks like it's going to be uh, May uh, fourteen through sixteen. We think. Um, all that's going to be tumbling out. We've got the uh, schedule coming out May 12th, so that's going to be something to look win, forward to next. Win, yeah. win,
0: win. That'll, that'll be our podcast the next day. Win, yeah. win. Yep.
1: We're going to do it. We're going to do it. 17-0, man. 17 and 21-0, oh.
0: man. Speaking of your guy, mm. I saw a report that uh, one of the teams that Aaron Rodgers would have an interest in was the Raiders. The Raiders. And John, and John Gruden. Got a John Gruden start. Look, John Gruden,
1: who, who who knows how his life and the life of the Buccaneers would have been different because he I was I remember that draft so vividly. They needed a quarterback, they needed a quarterback, they needed a damn quarterback. Uh I think they had I want to say Brian Greasy at the time, maybe Chris Sims. I don't know if he was even still here then. Um but at any rate, it was uh had to be like the oh five season. Um and they ended up picking Cadillac Williams. And nowadays, you would, you know, how good do you have to be as a running back to go in the top five, right? I mean, you got to be mm-hmm. sick, you know? So football was different. But what wasn't different was they needed a quarterback. They needed a quarterback. They needed a damn quarterback. And there were two that year that were supposed to go maybe 1 2, Alex Smith and Aaron Rodgers. And the Bucks worked out. But well, John was a big workout guy. He loved working these guys out, especially quarterbacks. I mean, you saw his quarterback camp, right, for all those years from the FFCA, man, all those quarterback camps that he did. Well, he went out west, and he worked out Aaron Rodgers, and he did the whole, you know, before it was on TV, did the whole chalkboard thing. Green Sports said one of the smartest guys he's ever been around. And then just to try to shock him, just to try to shock Aaron Rodgers. I want to see how he respond. You know what I mean? So we said, yeah, we want to. We want to watch you throw. We're gonna work you out. We got got a receiver we brought in with us. Ever heard of a guy named Jerry Rice? So Jerry, who was like one year out of football, and and still to this day thinks he could, you know, have a thousand yards receiving. Who's to tell him he couldn't? Um, he walks out. Out walks Jerry Rice to work out Aaron Rodgers. And I remember Gruden telling me. It's one of the best workouts I've ever saw, okay? It's one of the best ones there. And yet, and yet, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the number five pick select, Cadillac Williams, Auburn, running back, you know. And it wasn't unexpected because he had Cadillac at the Senior Bowl, wouldn't play him, like completely ticked Cadillac off. Cadillac had a great week of practice, did not play in a game. And Gruden was like, "Uh, he he showed everything he needed to show, okay? Uh, I don't want to get my Cadillac banged up, you know what I mean? He knew he was going to take Cadillac Williams. But Rodgers falls. You know, goes to the Packers. They got Brett Favre. Then they couldn't even get Favre when they trade. When they decided to trade Favre, he ended up going to the Jets. They screwed that up. So wouldn't it be something if after all these years, always wanted you, man. You were my guy. You know what I mean? I wanted you in 05. I can't believe, it. but that would be something. I think. He, I don't think he's going to play for the Packers. We'll do a show on that. But I, I, I think he's done.
0: I think I saw, and I. I it's, granted, it's on the internet, so I don't know it's true, but. <laughs> really? No quarterback has played 17 seasons for the pack. Bart Starr played 16. Brett Favre played 16. You're right. And Aaron Rodgers has played 16.
1: He, that's exactly true. He, yeah. That's true. I've heard that. He could be the first guy to or play Or maybe he
0: just said, oh, 16's the number. That's it. I'm that's, done. That's,
1: work for those guys. No,
0: no one's mad at them. You know? Oh, there were some people mad at Favre when he left.
1: Well, I mean, but you know what? This is really pot versus kettle right here, isn't it? I mean, because... I mean Aaron you know it's like it's a terrible analogy. I keep hearing like I'm going to do an ESPN thing cuz this is all they talk all they do on ESPN is they talk about they they change these things into relationships, right? It's like so so you're the other you're the other person in this, you know, there's a couple that are married for like 16 years. And then you come along and that person ends up divorcing their wife and then they, you know, um and they marry you and you're like, well, you know, no, what's wrong with that? I, you know, he's more happy with me and and this other person wasn't, you know, uh whatever, got old, I don't know. Uh and then and then the tables turned, right? 16 years later it's you on the other side of that pot. You know, it's like now he's in love with somebody else, looking for wife number 3 and now you're mad. Like wait a minute. You don't This is how you got here, man. Like you understand. And that's part of the problem. Part of the problem with Aaron Rodgers is that he knows what's going to happen. He lived it. He was that person. He was mm-hmm. Jordan Love. You know, you have to play him. What'd you draft him? You, you didn't draft the guy to not find out who he was. You drafted him because you figured your your calculus was, you know what? Aaron's getting older. Aaron's, we, we need to look for our next quarterback. And as soon as you brought him in, you, you, you basically, and you didn't even tell the guy you were doing it. You know, you just brought him home. So like that's you know it's funny to me it's like yeah he, he he knows where you're headed because he was that guy he was the guy that you got rid of Brett Favre for so I just I don't think he's gonna play again we'll dive more into that this week we'll have Tom Jones on uh with us of course former columnist Tampa Times my radio partner so great week ahead um Again, we're a little way from minicamp and all of that. Rays on the West Coast, lightning wrapping up. So keep it right here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.
0: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend.